The topic of our discourse uh, this evening is uh, the role of uh, concentration in uh, the context of a mindful observation or mindful contemplation of uh, predominant physical and mental formations. Under this certain particular topic, we shall first of all um, look at certain some general aspects concerning um, concentration, in particular in which context it certain occurs, and certain then uh, we shall first uh, we then we shall then look at its certain opposite certain state. And having done that, including some practical examples, then what will follow are various definitions for concentration and then some qualities that concentration ideally should possess and ways of developing concentration. Now, The release we motive from the cycle of existence from samsara, this certain very release is the result of is the result of and is based on the arising of intuitive wisdom, and the wisdom in turn then is certain based on concentration. The Diganikaya, the long discourses of Fatna the Buddha, in its second volume, section 217, contains Satna the following words, namely, perfect wisdom arises through perfect concentration and perfect release is the product of perfect wisdom. Sama samadisa samanyanam pahoti sama nyanasa samavimuti pahoti. Now, in at least two, if not certain more, passages, identical passages in the Samyutta Nikaya. One of them would be the third volume, section 13, and the other one, volume 4, section 80. The Buddha states the following. Because Bhikkhunis and lay retreatants develop concentration. A retreatant who is concentrated understands things as they really are. So, understands of things according to reality, and certainly this the Buddha then explains further by referring to the Four Noble Truths. So, one understands the existence of suffering, the origin of it, the cessation of it, and certainly finally the Noble Eightfold Path that leads to the cessation of, um, that leads to the cessation of formations. Concentration, samadhi in the Bali scriptural language, is certainly mentioned in various uh, uh, groups of teachings. One very simple one, but certainly also very fundamental, is certainly that of uh, um, sila seka, adi. Sila Seka, then 
Adi Chaita Nesika and Satnadin Adi Panyat Nesika. And namely the cultivation of uh, higher virtue, the cultivation of uh, the higher mind, Adichaita Sekha, as well as the cultivation of higher wisdom. Now, in the absence of this cultivation of the higher training in virtue, what would happen? So in the absence of uh, keeping precepts, ethical precepts, what would happen? Concentration wouldn't be possible. Concentration wouldn't be possible. Why not? Because you would be distracted by remorse. Uh, one would be distracted by remorse and remorse over uh, 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 transgressions. Certain transgressions that Satna are violating any of the ethical precepts. And those transgressions could come in the form of bodily transgressions, but could also come in the form of verbal transgressions. So, the one of the main of purposes or functions of uh, the training in uh, virtue or ethical conduct is the elimination of potential disruptive and disturbing elements of unethical activity. And so this elimination of such disruptive and disturbing elements then uh, is a prerequisite to the attainment of any composure of mind. Now, so based on uh, ethical conduct, concentration can arise and when concentration is present to some extent, then uh, in, uh, the mind is concentrated in uh, the contemplation of predominant objects, then uh, the arising of wisdom is possible. We see the formations according to their true nature. Concentration also appears as one of the five controlling faculties, namely the fourth one. Concentration is one of the seven enlightenment factors. Concentration is further a path factor of the eightfold noble path. So it's a really vital aspects in terms of the development of the mind. Now, to better understand what concentration is all about, let us first take a look at its opposite. And the opposite to concentration would be distraction, that's correct. And in the Pali scriptural language, known as citta uh, vikipa, uh, so distraction of mind. Distraction of mind, vikipa uh, could further mean uh, confusion or perplexity. Now, the Dhamma Sangani gives uh, the following synonyms for a distracted state of mind, namely the unsteadiness of concentration, 
that which at that time is unsteadiness of mind, lack of calm, uncontrolled distraction, shakiness of the mind. This is at that time unsteadiness of concentration. Now, would you have some examples for a distracted mind in the meditation practice? Just one example, maybe two. <laughs> if not, I'll, I'll back you up with a number of good examples. What, what, what's that? You can't stay on it? Yeah, okay, good. So, the mind cannot stay with one object, and instead it moves around. And mm, in that connection, you're having lunch in the dining hall. It's the most delicious meal ever. And suddenly then, mm, while you're chewing your food, your mind is totally lost in thinking about something entirely unrelated. So maybe you're thinking uh, about your family, or you're thinking about what you're going to do after the retreat, etc. Or another example would be you brush your teeth, and instead of the mind being really focused on the activity of brushing one's teeth, then what happens? What's that? No, same thing. One gets lost in thinking. Or you sit suddenly here in the meditation hall, and uh, it's very quiet, and then some retreatant comes in, and let's say makes a little bit more noise than uh, is normal. And uh, you can't help it, your fl eyes fly open, your head turns around, and you take a really good look at that retreatant. <laughs> If your mind were not distracted, you would seem, and if you were to be a professional retreat, then you would simply just label as hearing, hearing, and you would be mindful of that, know its nature, nature of that particular sound, and then your attention goes back to the primary object or some other predominant object. Now, another a practical example would be when it's time to pay home when it's time to pay homage to the Buddha and take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma, Dhamma and Sangha, then on occasion it happens we recite Buddha Sarinamgachami, etc. and then comes certain Dutyampi Dutiyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami, and Satna then it comes Satna Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami, and some retreat is already a Dutiyampi. Or, or instead of reciting Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami, it becomes Dutiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Now, um, uh, this may at times create some confusion. Well, a case of uh, a distracted mind. Or, I've tried to, to be really concentrated when coming in here and uh, um, also preparing for you know, the talk, uh, trying not to allow the mind to get distracted, but uh, um, then I did forget to switch on you know, the uh, sound system, you know, the, you know, the uh, headphones. So, a case of uh, a mild distraction. Now, having explored uh, distraction of mind to uh, some extent, uh, both theoretically as well as practically, now let us move on 
and certainly take a closer look at uh, uh, concentration itself. Now, the Dhamma Sangani gives certainly the following synonyms for uh, concentration, namely, it says that which at that time is stability of mind is steadfastness of mind, a term used in the Vibhanga, and then absorbed sadness, steadfastness of mind, non-distraction, and then the calm of the mind, the faculty of concentration, the power of concentration, right sadness, concentration. Other terms that are there for concentration are one-pointedness of mind, or at times referred to as the unification of the mind, chit, ikagata in the Pali scripture language, or samatha, or awikepa, namely the non-distractedness of the mind. The Pali term samadhi, which typically translates as certain concentration, literally means the state of being firmly fixed. So you've got the root da and at the very end of the word and at the beginning the prefix sam and in the middle a long a. So samada. And so, in other words, it is the fixing of the mind on a single object. In a passage from the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, the 44th discourse, we find the following definition. One-pointedness of mind, this is called concentration. Now, just like we can state, or just like we can experience various degrees of mindfulness ranging from a very weak, poor, intermittent mindfulness to an extremely focused and continuous mindfulness. So too, when it comes to concentration, this too is a mental state that exists in a very, that may, may exist or may manifest in a still very weak form, but has certainly the potential to be turned into a very strong state of absorption or of concentration. Now, From an Abhidhamma point of view, concentration is a mental factor that arises with all consciousness. So whether a form of consciousness is rooted in the roots of unwholesomeness, namely greed, hatred, or delusion, or in mm, the opposites, namely non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, it doesn't matter. Some degree of concentration will be there. Technically, it's certainly referred to as a so-called sabbacitta sadharana. Now, A very simple distinction with regard to concentration is 
as right concentration samasamadhi in the Pali scriptural language, which Shatna then oftentimes is defined as consisting of the four uh, meditative absorptions. And then, on the other hand, wrong concentration, mitcha samadhi. In the case of right concentration, it will be associated with karmically wholesome consciousness, whereas in the case of wrong concentration, it will be associated with karmically unwholesome consciousness. Now, As briefly stated in an earlier discourse, there is a definition of concentration that involves the path factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. And the Majjhima Nikaya, in its third volume, section 71, states the following. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right and right mindfulness. Unification of the mind, equipped with these seven factors, is called noble right concentration. Now, the importance of certain concentration in relationship to the four establishments of mindfulness, so the four Satipatthanas, is uh, neatly expressed in a shorter passage from the Diganikaya, namely its second volume, section 216 and 17. Here, a retreatant abides contemplating the body in the body, earnestly, clearly aware, mindful, and having put away all hankering and fettering for the world. This is a translation by uh, Morris Walsh. As one thus dwells, contemplating one's own body in the body, one becomes perfectly concentrated and perfectly serene. Being thus calm and serene, one gains knowledge and vision externally of... One gains knowledge and vision, maybe this much. Now, when you look at certain your own conduct at certain of the very beginning of the retreat, when the mind still was certain at times under the influence of distraction, and when you compare that to your conduct after about certain two weeks of intensive practice, then you will surely notice some differences. So over time, quite naturally, over time when practicing the four establishments of mindfulness, Constant, the mind will become more and more concentrated, and that will manifest even physically how we comport ourselves, how we keep ourselves.
the Visuddhi Magga, the path of Fatna purification, gives Satna the following classical fourfold definition for concentration. It says, one-pointedness has non-wandering and non-distraction as its characteristic. Its function is to conglomerate and or to unite the associated states. The illustration that the text suddenly give for its function, namely to conglomerate or to unite the associated states, well, this is compared to water which keeps the grains of flour together. Concentration is manifested as peace, and the comparison here is subject to a flame in a place where there is no wind, no draft. So a flame um, you know, that is perfectly stable. Even though when even though the Abhidhamma speaks of, uh, of concentration as one mental factor, yet a further division is certainly being made, namely concentration in the context of Fatna, the Samatha meditation, so mental development Fatna, through the Samatha, uh, through calm, and Fatna, then concentration as Satna part of the Vipassana practice, mental development through insight practice. Now, in the context of Fatna, Samatha meditation, may arise access or neighborhood certain concentration that uh, is not quite or yeah, does not quite uh, qualify as certain full attainment certain concentration mm, so it's still lacking is not certain yet mm, a form of uh, or fulfills the first jhana or second jhana, etc. And this in Pali is known as upachara samadhi. And satna then attainment concentration, so the full concentration of the first jhana, second jhana, etc. This is your apana samadhi in the Pali scriptural language. Now, when it comes to concentration, as it certainly arises in the Vipassana meditation, we use a different term, namely Kanika Samadhi. Yes, that's correct. And certainly this translates in English as momentary concentration and uh, does it mean just one single moment of concentration and that's it <laughs> it does not mean that but uh, it means moments of fatna concentration one after another and using or focusing the mind on whatever predominant object, physical or mental object, comes up. When it comes to meditation, the mind is focused on one single conceptual object, like 
uh, a virtue of the Buddha, a virtue of Satya the Dhamma, or Metta Karuna, and Satya so on. Whereas in the Vipassana practice, we're not Satya using conceptual objects, but we're working with objects that are, for the most part, uh, or that represent ultimate Satya reality. So we work with truly existing physical sensations like pains and aches and hardness, stiffness, various movements of the body, various mental, mental states and mental objects. Now, the Patisamida Magga, which is the path of discrimination, provides ten characteristics of concentration. Characteristics that concentration ideally should possess. And among them, what concerns us most at this point are the first six. Namely, that the mind is not distracted by pursuing the past, so not allowing the mind certainly to uh, get lost in uh, the past, nor is the mind agitated by longing for the future, nor is the mind shrunk through lethargy, kusita in the Pali scriptural language, nor is the mind agitated through restlessness, udicca, in the Pali scriptural language. Nor is the mind mm, overcome by passion, raga. And finally, nor is the mind stubborn through anger, vyapada. So on occasion, when you are observing predominant objects as certainly that naturally arise in the body um, or the mind, and certainly some degree of concentration is there, then check whether your concentration is really fulfilling these six certain qualities or not. If you find that, you know, that the mind is frequently going into you know, the past or you know, the future, etc., then you, know, you surely want to do you know, something about that. The Patisamida Magga, after having explained the ten characteristics that concentration ideally should certainly possess, then uh, ends that section with a short satna gata, which satna then highlights the six obstacles to concentration, namely the mind that hunts the past, that loves the future, that is slack, Overexerted or enticed or repelled is unconcentrated. These six defects in concentration based upon mindfulness of, it says here, of breathing, are such that when they stain one's thought, one knows not higher mind. Now, the Kusambhya Sutta contains a passage or several passages that sometimes are referred to 
as the Saraniyatna Dhammas. And so, namely, uh, principles of Fatna cordiality. And in that, in one of those passages, we f- have a reference you know, to you know, concentration. And this uh, is the first aspect of uh, our mm, subtopic, namely how to develop concentration. The relevant passage states, again, a retreatant dwells both in public and in private, possessing in common with his or her companions in the holy life those virtues that are unbroken, untorn, unblotched, unmottled, liberating, commended by the wise, not misapprehended. And the important part now, and are conducive to concentration. This too is a principle of cordiality that creates love and respect and conduces to cohesion, to non-dispute, to concord and to unity. So, when a retreatant, both in public and in private, sees to it to meticulously observe the uh, relevant certain precepts, then this certain will, uh, or this certain then is conducive to concentration. So what you have here is a passage that describes this link between ethical conduct and the conduciveness to concentration. Now, there's more on this, namely, a very specific aspect of ethical conduct, which shouldn't concern certain speech. The Majjhima Nikaya, in its certain first volume, section 286, globally states that harsh speech is not conducive to concentration. And the relevant passage is as follows, namely, one speaks harshly, one utters such words as are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on anger, unconducive to concentration. Ideally, if we observe Fatna Noble silence throughout the retreat, except for the interviews and certain answering questions and for maybe a few practical things, except for that, if we observe, or if we observe that noble silence like this, then it's very unlikely that we will engage in any kind of harsh speech. But on occasion, it so happens at meditation centers, even such peaceful places as meditation centers, that retreatants uh, start quarreling with one another. 
and a few examples frequent occasions for such quarrels are fans. Let's say if you have a meditation hall with fans and there are those whose body temperature is very high and they're on the verge of sweating, they just can't live without the fans. But then here comes a sensitive person, a person who is sensitive to this wind or the air that gets agitated by the fans and easily ends up with, easily ends up sniffing, possibly even with a cold. Well, you have two different needs clashing. And this at times, and it has actually happened in the past, has certainly led to foreign retreatants in some foreign, in some Asian country to get into a real fist fight. Not just exchanging harsh language. Now, Another such condition that on occasion in the past, but not certainly here, has led to a steering of emotions in a group of retreatants are in the past the fluorescent lights in the evening hours. So, some yogis certainly feel they need those fluorescent lights on and certainly others certainly felt no, it's much better to practice without those certain fluorescent lights. And I can remember a discussion from long ago from a particular country where arguments were were going back and forth, even with references to the Visuddhi Magga. There were it's it's <laughs> in the case of sleepiness, one should look into some bright light. It didn't quite say fluorescent light, but anyways, close enough. So. There are not certain things that tend to irritate certain people, and that when when this certain happens, then one can all of a sudden totally forget about certain noble silence and certainly then break the silence, break into speech, and unfortunately the speech then turns out certainly to be a harsh and quarrelsome speech. Now, obviously that's helpful for practice or not. <laughs> you will be sitting there in meditation with eyes closed and certainly planning your next steps. What are you going to say once the session is over? Now, when it comes to the development of certain concentration, there's other things that certainly we can do. For one thing, there's the restraint of the senses. And this has been mentioned already So ideally, even though some distraction might occur in terms of a visual impression or in terms of some sound or noise or 
some uh, odor. Well, uh, we simply restrain those sadness in stores and uh, at the most uh, when the seeing process occurs we label this as seeing and uh, then we're mindful of it we know its nature and certainly then we restrain uh, our uh, uh, eye door and the same thing goes certainly for uh, the ear door the nose door and certainly so on from an experiential point of view when you look at a group, or when you look at retreatants, you will see that advanced retreatants will very much pay attention to and certainly ensure that they're carefully restraining the senses. Where? A beginning retreatant would typically look around and certainly take in the sights and certain sounds of certain moment. Well, a more, much more advanced certain retreatant would simply not even open the eyes or simply not pay attention to the sound, and that. Highly developed restraint of the senses tremendously helps you know, to uh, uh, support and further develop uh, the arising of concentration. When, and this is an a different point when we are discontented with conditions at a meditation center so not here but certainly some other place let's say a noisy place and certainly there's not sufficient food and certainly then now there's plenty of people coming and certainly going well if there's no end you know, to these not so helpful you know, conditions, then gradually discontentment arises in the mind. And you know, for a discontented mind, it's difficult you know, for concentration you know, to arise. But when in your own practice, you feel quite contented with things as they are. You don't want anything extra. You don't want, you don't need any changes. Everything is fine the way it is. Under th those circumstances, or in the presence of contentment, concentration can easily arise. And the textual Evidence certainly for this comes in the form of Dhammapada verse 249, which states, people give according to their faith and their devotion. One who is displeased with others receiving food and drink cannot attain concentration by day or by night. So if one to express it positively, if one is contented with things as they are, and there's no uh, no jealousy uh, over someone else uh, uh, receiving food and certain drink, no, then it will be easy for the mind to become concentrated. Just as in the case of you know, the development of effort, viriya, in the case of you know, the development of concentration, moderation in regard to food is another way of helping you know, the development of concentration.
Now, as is certainly easy to see, overeating will lead certainly to drowsiness, and as stated by you know, the Patisambida Manga, you know, such a drowsy or shrunken you know, mind you know, then you know, will or with or with such a shrunken drowsy mind it will be difficult to uh, or for concentration to arise Now, as was mentioned already earlier on, simply the practice of the four establishments of mindfulness, namely dwell or dwelling, abiding, contemplating the body in the body, feelings in feelings, the mind in the mind, and dhammas in the dhammas, this uh, then uh, is conducive you know, to you know, the arising of uh, concentration. Now, There's a practice called uh, the practice of wakefulness, Jagariya Nu Yoga, in the Pali scriptural language. And uh, a passage on this then states the following Here, during the day, while walking back and forth and sitting, a retreatant purifies his or her mind of obstructive states. In the first watch of the night, while walking back and forth and sitting, one purifies the mind of the obstructive states. In the middle watch of the night, one lies down on one's right side in the so-called lion's posture with one foot overlapping the other, mindful and clearly comprehending after noting in one's mind the idea of rising. And after rising in the morning in the last watch of Fatna the night, while walking back and forth and sitting, one purifies the mind of obstructive states. This is the way that one, or this is, it, it is sorry, it is in this way that one is devoted to wakefulness. The term obstructive states stands for what? The defilements, yes, more specifically, the five hindrances. That's it. So, when the mind is badly afflicted by the hindrances, it will be difficult for concentration to arise and to further develop. But once the hindrances are gone and one purifies, as the passage Shatner says, one purifies the mind of those hindrances, obstructive fatness states, then, then it will be easy for concentration to arise. The Chankama Sutta that was mentioned already in the context of the role of effort in the contemplation of bodily and mental formations, that certain same discourse can be referred to once again in the context of our topic, namely 
the Chankaman Sutta speaks of certain of the five benefits of walking meditation, and certain the last benefit in the Pali scripture language is given as Chankamadi Gato Samadhi Chiratitiko Hoti, which uh, translates as uh, that it builds. Uh, a durable concentration, durable or long-lasting concentration. Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi translates this point as the concentration attained through walking meditation is long-lasting. Now, when we do the walking meditation properly and the mind is focused on whatever predominant sensation occurs as we're lifting the foot, as uh, you know, the foot certainly moves ahead, as the foot gets certainly placed, well, that will gradually bring about certainly some uh, concentration. And over time, that certain concentration will uh, get uh, stronger and certainly stronger. And the text certainly says uh, that um, this concentration then uh, will be a long-lasting or durable uh, concentration. Now, the conditions under which we practice may make a big difference. It is relatively easy to practice in a place like this meditation hall and certainly the ref forest refuge in Barrie, Massachusetts, because it's so quiet certainly here. There are hardly any uh, disturbances. But when you have a place that's certainly highly that noisy, then it will at least at first be difficult to develop concentration because you know, the mind will be agitated you know, by you know, the noises. Having said certainly this, the situation, however, might certainly change. When a retreatant's practice gains some depth, and he or she clearly or has against the insight knowledge by comprehension, namely comprehending the three universal characteristics of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and of, um, of anatta, of non-self. At that point, the mind automatically will be pretty focused already, and certainly with this, you know, then external sounds or noises you know, will most likely will be blocked out. So, the point here is, as or over time things may change, the way the mind responds to so-called noises, that certain way will be different. When a very strong equanimity is present, a noise is what? What's that? A noise is a noise. 
hearing. It's just another hearing. It's just another object. And certainly you label it as hearing, you and observe it with with detachment and certainly you know its nature and that's it there's no net mental reaction to it uh, at all so at that point the noise is no longer seen as a noise as something uh, disliked and uh, unwanted but it's just an object of observation it's just a sound and that's all Now, the Majjhima speaks of so-called mental obstructions that could prevent the developing or the deepening of concentration and certainly you know, those the mental obstructions are given in Pali as upakilisa, and certainly they are doubt, inattention, sloth and torpor, consternation, elation, unease, excessive energy, deficient energy, longing, diversified perceptions, and excessive meditation on uh, folk on forms. There's another point that certainly could certainly be mentioned here, namely a sequence that certainly you are familiar with being well established in ethical conduct. This allows certain uh, for the arising of the restraint of the senses. The restraint of the senses in turn uh, leads on uh, to mindfulness and clear comprehension. That uh, leads on to the cleansing of the mind of the five hindrances. When the five hindrances have been at least temporarily not overcome, what we experience is a sense of gladness, so a minor form of fatna joy, pamuja in the Pani scriptural language. The gladness leads on to the arising of fatna joy, piti. That in turn brings about the stilling of fatna, the body, and based on that arises the stilling of the mind. And the stilling of fatna, the mind, then contributes to the arising of happiness, and this in turn leads to concentration. concentration. There you go. And so a whole sequence of fatna factors, one leading on to the next. Now, allow me to conclude today's fatna discourse by wishing may your concentration be such that it's well focused on whatever well focused, well fixed on whatever predominant object certainly comes along however always ensuring that the mind is not just fixed to an object, but mm, wisdom mm, does arise from moment to moment. And so, may more and more concentration arise, and may this then contribute to the arising of intuitive wisdom, and ultimately may this lead to the liberation from suffering, and may this happen during this very existence or some existence in the near future. And this is it for the discourse.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.